Let me pray for us, okay? So encourage. We are needy, Lord Jesus. And um, we are so grateful that we could be here right now and be enjoying you together, be you can laugh and sing out because our Savior is not dead, he's alive. And, and Satan is not our king, but Jesus is. Our allegiance is not to our flesh or the rule of this world, but uh, it's to Christ. Uh, we are not bound by strongholds or we're not bound by uh, just the things of the world, you know, animosity and, and hatred and jealousy. But, Lord, you've given us power in the spirit to be free of those things and to enjoy what it means to be fully and truly human. So that's why we laugh. That's why we enjoy and we sing and we... We have just such great blessed happiness because we're saved and we're in Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we sit together as the people of God here and all over the world, and we just want to get counsel from the Holy Spirit to bring glory to Christ. Lord, we pray that would happen here, that you would open up your word, you would teach us, and we would learn from you, and we would be, it would be good to our souls as you... Take the myths out of our minds and our hearts as you demythologize us, as you continue to show us who we are. And then, man, we don't like seeing that sometimes, but yet we don't have to stay staring at ourselves, but we look toward Christ. Worship. We, we put the magnifying glass not on our circumstances or our situations, but we put the magnifying glass on Jesus. We magnify Christ. So I pray that would be the case right now. Holy Spirit, would you... Would you speak through me, Lord? Would you graciously use me? I'm, we are blown away, myself, Leah, and our elders, when we get to teach your word. Uh, it's only by your grace. And so, Lord, we don't want to be up here and just a bunch of noisy symbols. But, Lord, we pray that you would speak through me and that people would be encouraged when they hear a word from the Lord. May it be the oracles of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord, guys. Um, so we uh, had a great time in Acts uh, for a year and eight months, right? Praise the Lord. I guess two people liked it. Um, you know, hey, hey, you can't win them all, I guess. Um, we're going to keep going, though. Maybe I'll get more claps next time. Um, hey, we uh, have Bibles. You can be passing those out. You can go ahead and grab some of those. We're going to be uh, in a lot of text today. Uh, and you know what? We have great people um, serving. Again, our interns helping I have other stuff even in addition to this, so I don't know how these slides are going to work out. So look at the slides, but when in doubt, go to your Bible. So we'll see how this all works out, okay? Um, we, we usually, as a, as a local body, we go through books of the Bible. The reason why we do that is because left into our flesh, we will stay in places where we feel safe. We will stay in those areas where I can look really cool and I really know my theology, and so I'll keep talking to you about Matthew 16 all the time and stuff like that. Versus saying, hey, I want to give, you know, as a shepherd, we'll give you the whole counsel of God's word. And then we're not going to like kind of pick through over the, the really serious, crazy issues, right? We're going to plow through them all. And that's what's cool about going through God's word is when you get to, you know, you know, Acts 17, you got to just preach Acts 17. You can't say, well, we're going to skip it. You know, <laughs> we can't do that. And so that's what we usually do is we go through books of the Bible and we expose it. We see what, the, what God is saying in the text. And we want you to understand what's happening in the mindset of then the first century Jew. And then how do we bring that to 2015 and apply it to our life? So we observe the text, we interpret based on what's going on in that time and in that space. And then we want to apply it to where we are today. Uh, we've done that, we, you know, with Acts, Genesis, Galatians, Colossians, John. Uh, and, and, and starting in September, uh, we'll be doing Exodus. Okay, praise the Lord. Uh, we'll be in Exodus for probably about two years. Praise God. All right, there we go. My theologians, come on, you know you like it. You like it when I slap you with the Bible. I'm just kidding. No, but, um, so, uh-oh. So my thing, though, is today, today, though, we're going to do something different. We're going to go through, and here's the thing. We're going to do this. The elder, uh, our staff team was really kind of trying to wonder, like, how to uh, talk through the issue of complementarity, uh, which is what we're going to be talking about today, okay? And we're going to be also talking uh, throughout the week's uh, we're going to deal with many different issues for the next five weeks. They're going to be itemized issues of doctrine uh, that 
doctrines that deal with our culture. We're going to talk about race and culture uh, during one of our weeks. But this one is so um, intense, and maybe we might even see some of the other ones are, that we might spend more than one week. So we're going to spend more than one week on this one, okay, guys? Because I really tried to put it in one week, and I thought, man, this will be a disservice. And, and my sweetheart, Sarah, uh, was just saying, you know, uh, sometimes we can put a lot of stuff in. And you, like, you guys are like, yeah, that was a lot of stuff. But then we don't get a lot out of it because it was too it was too dense, okay. So I'm just trying to learn how to how to we just we were just trying to learn how to be good pastors and and I'm just trying to figure this out, you know. So I'm gonna try to give a little slice a day, you know, and then next week have another slice, okay. So that's that's how we're gonna try to roll today. Um, hope that's encouraging to you. And also, it's a very sensitive topic. This issue of complementarity. And what that means is uh, discussing as a local body uh, the roles between men and women um, as we flourish in society, okay? And it's a very hot topic, okay? It's a very uh, serious topic. Um, And what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to not, the the tendency in this is to kind of, you know, set the straw man arguments up Right. And so so we can look really good on what we believe. And what I want to do is I want to as much as I can uh, be faithful with both our, both sides. But also, obviously, I have, you know, we as a church, we are complementary, uh, com- we're complementary in our understanding of men and women's roles. We're not egalitarian. So obviously we're going to focus in on that piece. But I'm going to try to um, be faithful and share uh, both roles. OK, guys. All right. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump into a lot of text here. Um, we will, we will hit, here's how it's going to go. There's many different areas when you're talking about complementarity, what does it look like for men and women to be in roles and what, what are our roles and what we need to be about? Uh, we're going to look at the role of men and women today. And we're going to look at how, uh, talking about generally how we do life on earth and then life in marriage today. We're going to try to hit that. And then next week it gets even crazier. Um, and then we're going to talk about what does it look like for us to do life in the church, okay? And then we might look at some work and things of that sort as well. Um, so obviously it's going to get crazy. And, I, and what I want to ask for you to do is as I'm sharing, we usually ask for people to ra- uh, raise their hand if you have questions. I still, I still want to leave that open, but I want you to really think about like your question before you ask again. Make sure it's a general question that can really help the body. And also, uh, let me, give me a chance to kind of unpack stuff first too. Uh, to try to unpack the whole discussion so you, can, so you can ask questions with information, right? So you can be informed, and then with that information, ask an informative question. Um, <clears throat> let, me, let me set the stage by saying, as we're talking about women and men's roles, again, very sensitive issue, because of, of, of plainly, first of all, we have the world telling us what that looks like, and then we have broken men and women who actually love Jesus, maybe not doing what we're called to do, and so then what you get is you get a mess, okay? And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to say we know we're not supposed to listen to the world because the world hates Jesus, okay? All right, the world system is trying to make sure that the way things work out in the world work out toward the bad of Christ. Whether you, I hope you all understand that. The world is not down with Christ, by the way. Okay, the world system is fleshly and wants to self-aggrandize, wants to worship itself, Right. And so Christ is on the throne and the world, Satan is like, the world is my puppet. And so Satan's like, I want to use the puppet to make sure that it doesn't worship Christ. Okay. And so that's why things are happening in our world and our culture where slowly but surely Christ is kind of getting pushed to the curb. Okay. So we know we don't want to listen to the world. So, so one key indicator when you might be, maybe not be right is when the world is agreeing with you. Just throw that out there for free. Now. Now, we, but we also want to make sure, and I do this a lot. I get baggage-driven. Stuff happens to me in my life. Stuff happens to me in my journey. And then I get kind of weary when, when that subject matter pops up. You know, it's like someone hurts you, right? You know, someone does you wrong, and then they, they go out of town. You haven't seen them in a while. You've ended that relationship. And, and then, you know, you think you've forgiven them. And then you see them at Trader Joe's, Right? And all of a sudden, that flood of emotion, all that stuff that you thought was healed comes back, you know. It can be like that, which I think theological topics sometimes. And so what I want us to do, I want us to kind of pause and say, it's okay to have those feelings and to kind of feel like, where is this brother going? But I, but I want us to 
trust your, trust your pastor, just hear me out, and let's try to figure out how do we get to this framework of what God has said and what God wants, and then figure out how to do that in life, okay? All right, let me start and set the stage by saying this, for even for young people. The reason why this is important, um, let me start by saying this. The role of women and men is not a gospel issue. Let me start there. Complementarity, as we talk about it today, it is not a gospel issue. What do I mean by that is that if I am at um, the blue light sharing the good news of Jesus, in that proclamation of God's grace, I don't begin to tell the dude what does it mean to be a man. Does that make sense? Or I don't say... Jesus down the cross for your sins and you are evil and you need Christ. Give yourself to Christ, free gift of salvation. He's your rescuer. And as a woman, you need to, right, we don't do that, correct? So I think we're all in agreement. This is not a gospel issue. Uh, it's not part of my discussion for someone being saved. Uh, it's not, not to understand this theological issue. However, at the same time, don't miss this, it's very important to human flourishing, very important to human flourishing, and it has implications that actually affect the gospel. So I would propose that the way we view these issues actually does eventually affect how you think about the reality of the narrative of Christ, the good news of Jesus. And we see it in our society, and the thing is, you know, I have to be very careful. I can give you all these examples. But we see it in our society. We're going to talk more about that in a, in a bit. Uh, but it matters. Keep like, why does this matter? Why are we getting all high shelf theology here? It matters. Guys, it matters when our young boys are not raised understanding what does it mean to be a boy? What does it mean to be a man? When our young, beautiful girls are not raised to understand there's something that's beautiful and awesome about being a girl. And what does it mean to be a woman? And that they're different from one another on purpose for a reason. Um, a few books. It's funny. I mean, even scientists, you know, if you do some research, it's amazing how many unbelievers, even though we want to do this whole, you know, we're all just kind of the same. They, they do a ton of research on understanding men and women's brain to even understand things like autism and many defects that we have because they say that our brains are drastically different. There's some cool commonalities, right? There's some cute, cool uniting things that our brain does together as a a man and a woman. And then they're blown away at how there's some very different aspects to the, 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 the makeup of our brains as a man and a woman, the the way we function, the way we respond to things. And you, get, you know it's true. If I was to give you examples, I don't want to, I'm, I'll, maybe I'll do a few examples later. But man, I can, we can give a ton of examples of, of this, us responding as men, us responding as women. So a few books that, you know, you can write down um, as you're reading these, as you're thinking through this. Uh, the uh, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by John Piper. Uh, that's a good book. Obviously, that's a book that, that celebrates complementarianism, which is, what, what, is who we are as a local church. He also has this thing online you can check out. It's 50 Crucial Questions About Manhood and Womanhood. And by the way, I gave my book to somebody in this church. Y'all need to repent and give me my book back. <laughs> Thought I'd put that on blast right quick. Give me my book back. And if you got other books, give them back. Um, there's some good seminars as well. Um, there's another book uh, called For Introductions um, Written by Women. Consider uh, Carrie Sandum. Uh, she wrote Different by Design. This is on the other side. It's egalitarian. I'm trying to give you the, just the, the gamut. And then there's a book called T- Together, Reclaiming Co-Leadership in Marriage. Uh, I've been doing a lot of reading. <laughs> uh, trying to look at these different things online all week and stuff. All right. So the question on the table first is why did God create men and women, right? 
uh, when, he, when he created men and women, was he kind of just saying, hey, I just want somebody to be in charge? Like, is that, is that the point? Like, what's going on? Why did he create men and women? I want to first start with the two historical definitions that we're dealing with, basically, in Christianity, and then kind of try to unpack both and go through a ton of verses and, and, again, just try to make a deduction. All right? Now, egalitarian, which is uh, the, the other position, basically is saying uh, it's known as biblical equality, right? And it holds that a human persons are created equally in God's sight, equal in fundamental worth and moral status. Okay. Now, complementarians like myself will, what we usually will do is we will set up arguments that basically egalitarians aren't fighting, right? To make our argument look better. I've done this many times and I'm trying to learn how to not do that. We don't need to set up straw man arguments. I don't need to make it sound like. Yeah, I don't, I don't need to paint pictures that just dishonors my brothers and sisters who are really thinking about the issues just as hard as I am. Um, uh, but I want to also say egalitarians do the exact same thing. And I think even the definition in itself uh, has an implication as if complementarians think something different, right? Because that's just not the case. And so I, I think my, my, my egalitarian brothers and sisters should try to, even in their definition, kind of rethink how it's shared or maybe give a blurb about the complementarians believing the same thing or something. Because I think it'll, be, it'll make the argument helpful and people feel more safe as they're having a conversation. Um, because a complementarian believes uh, that all human persons are created equally in God's sight, equal in fundamental worth and moral status too. Right. And, but at the same time affirms that men and women have different but complementary roles and responsibilities in marriage, family life, religious leadership, and elsewhere. Okay, so now here's the issue. Complementarians and egalitarians have a very robust understanding of how God created men and women. That, that he created us with all purpose, value, and worth, and essence, okay? That means that a man is no better than a woman, a woman is no better than a man, that we are both created in Imago Dei, all right? But in this text here, we're saying that, well, in, in, this, in this explanation, we're saying that, that although God created us to have the same essence, that we have different things to do on earth that maximize God's glory, Okay, now let me, let me go through some scriptures real quick. Uh, you're going to have to do a cursory reading here in Genesis 1. But when you look at something really, really interesting, you have uh, verse 10, verse 12, 18, 25. It uh, talks about God creating, right? And then it says in the scriptures uh, that it was good. So God creates plant life and you know, animal life. He creates the heaven and the earth, so I'm going to talk about it in a moment. He said it's good. And then... Uh, then he finally says in the text that he creates and something's not good, right? The first time he says, hey, I created, but man, something's not right here was when he created man. Look at verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said after he created man, it is not good that man should be alone. See that? So God created man. And man was trying to hang out with the doggies and the cats. And I know we can think dogs are like your best friend and they're like, well, they're going to replace a human. But I want to tell you that the Bible told on you, you can't have community with a dog. Okay? Because then God wouldn't have created the woman. He would have said, be community with the dog. But he didn't. And, And I'm sure Adam tried to hang out with the giraffe, you know, and do all this stuff. And God looked and thought, this ain't working. He said, for some reason, and I want to propose here, so you go, well, why are men and women created? I want to talk about the Trinity piece in a moment, but I'm going to give you a snapshot. Obviously, he created men and women because he wanted to retell the beautiful story of community that he has in the Trinity, and he wanted us to experience that. That him creating men and women was not an issue of work. It wasn't like, oh, you do this work and you do this work. The primary reason why he created us as people is so that you and I can experience community. The reason why I say that is because the main reason he creates woman is for community. Right? He's, it's not good for them to be alone. 
I'm going to read through the text. That the man should be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him, right? And now out of the the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names in verse 20 to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. And I want you all to stay with me. It's hot in here. This is highly academic, theological. But is it extremely important? Because the world wants us to kind of just wipe the slate clean so we can start going crazy. So I want us to see there's distinctions for God's glory. So stay at me, y'all. Fight hard. All right, verse 21. So the Lord God, so I'm sorry, verse, end of verse 20, he says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So he says it again. So I created all this stuff, but man, it wasn't a helper suitable for Adam. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. God didn't make a mistake. Right? God is perfect. God didn't go, oh, I thought you would have liked, you know, Lassie. You know? But you don't. What are we going to do, Trinity? You know, he didn't, that's not what happened, right? God did this to show us our need for community. God did this so you could see. You see, you don't like just hanging out with the giraffes, do you? Because I want you to experience that, that Trinitarian love that I get with the Trinity. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to create another helper, what? In my image, Right? So that two people bearing God's image are imaging God to each other, loving each other, caring for each other, sacrificially caring for each other, protecting each other, doing all those things. So that when you see that love, it reminds you of a perfect love, the Trinitarian relationship. Right? So the scripture says... Deep sleep, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. Can't spend a lot of time there. I would love for you to read some books in antiquity about ribs and, and, and why he took that piece and all of that. It's powerful stuff. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man had made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Uh, she will be called woman. Very important there. Because she was taken out of man. Um, so the funny part of this, as when we stop here, I'm just going to have to kind of stop. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to end this plane, like land this plane, but I trust y'all to, to understand where we're going here. Uh, you see right here, God created man and woman for oneness, right? Um, he didn't have a helper. God gave him a helper. Now, the idea could be a lot of times what will happen here is the egalitarians will say, and I'm using these words. I hope you understand what I'm saying. People who say that you want that complementarians, us, we want to have these distinct roles between men and women because we're saying that men are kind of here and women are here. That's not, that's not the role of this local body, and that's not the historical position of the complementarian. Okay? Um, and so right here, a lot of times we, we would talk about in these texts here, we see that there's a role distinction. And I'm going to show that in a moment. But my egalitarian brothers and sisters would say um, that, that right here, actually, this concept of, 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 uh, of subduing the earth uh, and that us trying to see men as higher and lower is a straw man argument because they're saying right here, men and women were called to subdue the earth. Right? They were called to have dominion over the earth. But actually... Complementarians, I've seen some complementarians say, no, 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 no. But actually, I agree. I agree. I agree that the charge for, I agree that egalitarians are right on here. That when God creates man and woman, he tells them, okay, this, we got to just keep it real. This is whatever, what he does, he does it. That's all right. You know, it's just like Catholicism and, and, and Protestantism. Matthew 16, we're scared to give Catholics the, the, the peace that Peter is the leader of the church because we think they're going to make him the Pope and we're going to mess up the Protestants and we can't be Protestants now. If you, I'm sorry, I'm getting too academic for y'all. But, but we can do that. We can say, yeah, Peter was a, lo- he was a leader of the local church. I'll make him the Pope. You know what I'm saying? Right here, I'm telling you, yeah. God told man and woman, he said, I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to go around and I want you to treat the world how I would treat it, right? And I want you to enjoy the things that I've placed in it for you. And I want you to act like I would act. So take care of it the way I take care of it. Act like I will act and enjoy what I would enjoy. Okay. But I want to propose also in that, from the complementary perspective, our perspective, going back and forth, I'm going to mix you up. 
we would say there's ways that we do that. There's different roles that we're giving to do that well. That's the difference. So we believe that we are called to subdue the earth. But I want to propose that the ways, the posture, the the mode of operation that men go about doing that and the ways that women go about doing that are kind of different. So so I don't think, so, so, so we're not saying that man, someone's lower. And the reason why this is important is because, again, this, affects, this, this reflects the Trinity. And I stay there because that's one of the main pieces that I down here. Uh, John 17, write that down in your, uh, in your address book. When you look at John 17, what's so beautiful about that passage is how Jesus himself is saying, hey, like, he's, he's with his homies, and I've been with y'all for years, and I'm praying for y'all. You know what he prays? He prays for oneness. And he does this Trinitarian oneness piece, and he's saying, Father, I pray that these guys will be one with me, like I'm with you. And he prays all this Trinitarian, we, like, I want them to experience a love that I have for the Father and that you have with me and you start to see that oh he's talking about this issue of relationship and then when you think about the Trinity what always messes us up is when we try to talk about the Trinity as far as essence right we, we get bogged down because we want to see an essence difference we want to go well no 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 if the Father is the Father and, and Jesus is the Son then there must be an essence issue and then, and then the Bible keeps trying to scream to you and me and say quit looking at essence I've already told you the essence that the Trinity is fully God that, that the Holy Spirit is fully God, that Jesus is fully God, and that the Father is fully God. Quit looking at essence. They have one essence. What I want you to focus on is the relationship. That the Bible wants you to see the relationship of the Trinity and see powerful people, the most powerful people, God himself. Holy Spirit, doesn't. he's not a little less God than Jesus. The Father is not like the most God. You're either God or you're not, right? We're not, it's not, it's not, it's not Greek mythology, where you can be kind of a God and, you know, kind of a human. No, you're God or you're not. Okay? And there's one God. But our, but our Bible teaches us is that our God is in three persons. Right? Holy Spirit, Father, Son. And that each person is fully God. That's the historical definition of the Trinity. Now, in that, what's so beautiful, what I love about that, I love the fact that the Holy Spirit did not die on the cross for you. Right? A person died on the cross and used Jesus. Right? Guess what? The Holy Spirit could have been really mad at Jesus. He said, why you always get to die on the cross? Why you get the glory? Why everybody get to see you exalted? John 16, what is the Holy Spirit's job? Teach, and I'm sorry? He's a comforter. He's a paraclete. Thank you. Thank you. What is his job, though? Look at John 16, verses 13 and 14. It tells you his job, what he gets paid for, a W-2 form. He fills out, I bring glory to Christ. That's his job. The Holy Spirit's role in his life is to bring glory to Jesus. That's what he does. Now, maybe I'm just, I'm just a sinful person. If my whole role was to just point to somebody else, I might struggle with that. Especially when I'm just as good as you. I'm God too. I got to point to you all the time. Why can't you point to me? Why can't we have it be like equal and stuff? But the Holy Spirit, the, be- the, the beautiful thing that God wants you to see in John 17 is that you have the Father who gives the kingdom to Jesus. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus gives the kingdom back to the Father. You have this beautiful issue, issue of unity and diversity that they are fully one God in essence, but they are all having different roles. And they all do different things for the maximizing glory of the Trinity. That's what you see. And I'm proposing that's what the Bible's trying to teach you of me. And then he's saying, now, as you look at that journey, I want your relationships to model that so people can understand a little bit more about me. So it's interesting, though, because... um, just to make sure we understand the, role, the, the beauty of women again, when you see this passage of, 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 you know, when you see, I'm going to start talking about man and certain things that we ought to do. I just wanted you to look uh, that when you see this issue of helper, the, help, the word helper is not subordinate. In fact, the word helper in the Old Testament is usually used, you know who it's usually used for? God. 
right? Um, and I have a few, like Psalm 33, verse 20. Um, man, my heaven's sake, John 14. My sister just told, just said it, <laughs> right? It's called the helper, the, par- right? the paracletos, right? So he's a, he's a, he's a the same helper of the, helper of the same kind. It's that, it's that same sense, right? Uh, it's the helper of the same kind. It's almost like saying, I'm the same kind of, I'm the, like when you get, when you get, the Holy Spirit, you get Jesus kind of. It's like this weird unity diversity thing in the same way of people. My point in that is that God is recognizing and celebrating us as, as one in essence. All right. I've labored that point enough. So here is um, the Galatarians would look at uh, the, the passage that we just read. And, and, and what we would say is, uh, is complementary. What we say in our body as we say we complement each other, we would say one of, the main, one of the reasons that it seems that God is, is celebrating this role distinction is because he creates man first, okay? That's one of the ways we can see. He creates man first, which I think has a lot of meat. But to the egalitarian's point, they're like, well, but he, create, he created the animals before he created man, right? And guess what? That's a good point. Right? Isn't that a good point? I think so. So, 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 so guess what? So I won't, I won't die on that hill because I think that's a good point. But I think there's other things that we see in the text that also convinces me that there is a reason why God has done this thing. And then I'll talk about the whole, like, bigger picture of the purpose of God. Um, the egalitarians would also say in their minds that men and women both cultivate and take care of God's world. I always say we agree with that. Uh, and that they both have dominion uh, and are made to rule. I said I agree with that. Remove, rule everything else but in different ways. Um, and they believe that the fall provided... So here's the issue. The fall provided a broken culture that permitted a decreative understanding of men and women relationships. That the reason why... People think that men should be leaders and protectors is because of the fall. Okay? Um, and that what God does is in Christ, in Genesis 3.20, I'm sorry, in Galatians 3 verse 28, he kind of re-implements the freedom that, no, I've made you all one, which he has, uh, but all one to kind of take back the mandate that I gave you in Genesis before the fall. Here's the struggle there for, for me as... Um, as one of your leaders, I want to say, I want to propose that, that the issue of, of man's leadership is a creation issue. It's not a fall issue. Uh, we already looked in verse 26 through 27. I'm just going to have you go there. I just want to propose a few things. What we see there is we see both Adam and Eve were created in God's image, equal in persons. And then when you look at uh, verse 7, uh, chapter 2 and verse 18, it says, uh, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Uh, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man uh, should be alone. I would make a helper suitable for him. Verse 15 and 17 of chapter 2 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. The Lord God commanded man, saying, From any tree of the garden... Uh, you may eat freely, but from the tree of, the go- of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in a day that you eat it, you will surely die. Okay, a couple of things are happening here. Uh, first, we are seeing the moral teaching because what happens is God gets mad at who when they sin? Man. Why? Because here in the text, God gives the moral teaching uh, to govern and garden uh, to Adam and then he passes it on to the woman because that's when he's, because in verse 18, he says, but hey, you alone, we need to make somebody else for you. Okay. So the moral and governing garden teaching is given to Adam. And then he's actually supposed to pass that on to Eve. Okay. We also learn in those passages of verses uh, 18 through 23, which we already read, um, is that man, notice in verse 23, what man does. Now, in antiquity, this doesn't mean much to us now, but in antiquity, this was huge, is that the reason why you see God naming all the creatures, I mean, I'm sorry, naming like the earth and man, is because that is a recollection, that is an understanding that he has dominion over all those things, okay? So now we can talk about orcs, so so he has dominion over them, he has 
He is to take care of them, protect them, and steward them. So I want to propose to you, now God could have very simply said when he grabbed Adam, hey, I'm going to make a helper suitable for you. It's going to be woman. But he didn't. It's interesting that he, he says, he tells Adam, I'm going to make the helper. And then for some reason, the author wanted you to see that Adam also names her in addition to the naming the animals. The reason why I'll propose to you is because that's a model of God saying in one way or another that you are to be a protector. You are to be a provider. This is, she is under your care. And very simply put, you go by, yeah, I think that makes sense. So, let me continue to go on. Adam's headship in marriage was established by God before the fall is what I'm trying to show in these texts here. When it says in verse 23, it says you become woman and then they actually get married. Um, the first marriage and God tells man, right? He says you're to basically cling hold to your bride, right? And leave and cleave and basically protect I'm, I'm proposing that whole framework is protect, love, care, sacrificially uh, care for. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that there's evidence even with the fall that God is saying that man had a, a certain kind of leadership that was a role issue. Role issue. And this is, you know what, this is very important for us, especially in our community where we have a lot of fatherless and men not stepping up which I think actually is part, of the re- is part of the reason we need to be talking about this. Because men need to recover an understanding and a robust understanding that you are called not to be a wimp. You are called to be caring. And guess what? In all this text here, there, to, to be honest, there is no tyrannical, crazy dudes you know, standing up on the seats, you know, waving some big bat or something crazy. You're talking sacrificial, protective love. And to be honest, can, I be, can we keep it 100? That's really hard. I'd much rather have the sugar mama who making all the dough. I get to hang out. Somebody come break into the house. I'm like, you go get them. Can I keep 100? I would much rather have that be the case. You know, this is nothing. This is men. This is nothing to, to hold your chest out and think you're proud. This is a humble act of service. And guess what? A real man who's leading out of a a desire to wake up and sacrificially give to his wife and say, I will die for her and I will die for my family. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm going around, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, how can I have her best? How can I point her to Christ? How can I serve and love her? How can I make sure that she knows she's a queen? I propose women want that dude. That was just opinion. Now, there wasn't a lot of scripture, but... But I, but I think we own something, you know, from an anthropological perspective there. Um, check out the fall. Verse 1 through 6, ver, uh, chapter 3. You guys are doing great. Stay with me, guys. I know it's like 300 degrees up in here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat any of the tree in the garden? Right? So he's talking to the woman. I'm saying that's a big issue there. And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree is in the, um, that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Uh, so Satan lies to her. But the serpent said to the woman, uh, you shall not surely die. Um, uh, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you shall, will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes, to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, I don't think, now this is where I think we fall short as complementarians. What we will do, we'll make a big argument that be, um, almost like that it's almost like a, a punishment of the of the role distinction because of her eating the fruit first so that's not 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 all historical complementarians but some i've heard that and obviously that's wrong because in in romans 5 god blames all of us for sin okay so we can't do that all right um and in fact i want to propose what god does here he blames adam for eve's sin now i propose that's leadership right I come in my house, right? And, and, and my, my twin boys are eight and they're older. 
And this, is a, and this analogy fails because we're talking age and stuff like that, but I think it makes sense. You know, and when my five-year-old is doing something and my eight-year-olds are right there, you know who I get mad at? I don't get really mad at the five-year-old as much when he's doing something that a five-year-old would do. Right? We don't want to, we, 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 we discipline disobedience, not immaturity. Right? If you're being five, well, I'm mad at you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I am mad when an eight-year-old knew you weren't supposed to do that. And so I go, hey, why y'all, what y'all, why y'all didn't do something? <laughs> right? That's how we do, right? <laughs> right? So this ain't, this, this is not new. This is, this makes sense. Check this out. The serpent undermines, look what happens here in the fall. The serpent undermines the roles I propose to you ordained by God. I'm proposing the way the fall even happened was that Satan had to say, I got to tweak the way God made stuff. So the way I'm going to get in here is I'm going to have to tweak that and then I'll get in. Wait a minute. Is that what he's doing today? Absolutely. If I can tweak the way God made stuff, they'll kill each other. I ain't got to go up and give you the knife and do all this. All I got to do is go, how did God want this to work? Okay, I'm going to try to make it work the opposite. And because since God knows when it works the way he wants it to work, we flourish, then the natural conclusion, if I can make it opposite, it's going to deflourish. So what he does is he puts people in office and does all this stuff and say, let's make things work the way God didn't want them to work. And then I'm going to step back and just watch. And Satan, like, I got time. I'll wait 50 years, 60 years. And I watch a culture just kind of decreate. You see that? And then we in 2015 arguing with each other as Christians about things that to me are kind of plain in the scripture. Not saying it's not hard to work them out. You know what I'm saying? I get that. It's hard to do this stuff. But man, we got to start agreeing on some things. It's like, yep, there it is. Um, so he undermines the role that God ordained, and he draws Eve and Adam into a deadly role reversal with God and each other, right? You notice that? So this is, again, this is my, this is what is a historical understanding of the complementarian view. And then notice in verse 17 of chapter 3, it says, and to Adam, he said, because, look at this. So he goes to Adam now. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you and pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. It's interesting to me that he calls man to account first. I'm proposing the reason why that's so clear to us, guys. This, you know, it's because God is like, dude, you're her protector. You're supposed to be putting that snake in a chokehold or something. Right? And you sitting around, your girl come up with some fruit, and you're like, man, that does look good. And he's like, dude, like you're supposed to be protecting her. You're supposed to be sacrificially loving her. You're supposed to be, you, I'm supposed to came walking up and seeing the snake just biting you and killing you because you get in a fight with a snake because you're not letting it do something to your wife. And you're like, hey, I'm sure God will heal me or something, but I got this snake. What's up? That's what should have been the story, right? And it wasn't the story. And so God was frustrated with Adam. You see that, guys? Men, that's. That's what sacrificial leadership is supposed to look like, right? The, the fall was us not stepping up, okay? And then we retell that story when we find ourselves absolving ourselves from responsibility, whether it's birthing kids, not wanting to work hard, not wanting to sacrificially love our wives, but trying to claim our rights, trying to be tyrannical. Well, wait a minute. No, let me quit. Speak. Let's just read the Bible. The Bible tells us all that. Look what it says here. So, let me read a few verses, the 7 through 9, and we'll read verse 16, okay? Y'all still with me? Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in a garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? So I'm just talking about that role reversal again. 
All things are changing now, right? To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, verse 16 of chapter 3. In pain, you shall bring forth children. You shall, you, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. What does that mean? I'm proposing the desire is not sexual. It is control. It's saying, hey, you are not going to respect your man's leadership, and your desire is going to always be to usurp authority and to go, you know what? You're supposed to be leading, but I think I'm a better leader. So I'm going to take this right now. Okay, brother, you sit down, young buck. All right. Verse 7, you go, well, where did you get that from? Well, verse 7 in chapter 4, you use the same word. And I want to propose that, you know, when a, when a biblical author does this, when you have words that aren't used much in the Bible and they're used in like a paragraph, like twice, it's because the author is trying to give you the context. So we ain't arguing about it in 2015. Okay. The context, he says, so he says the exact same thing to Cain. If you do well, verse 7 of Genesis chapter 4, uh, yeah, 4 verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It desires is for you, but you must rule over it. Same context, the sense of ruling, taking control, right? And so basically the curse of desire and rule show basically the futility of our, of our real corruption. That basically the result of us being, I want to propose, what is, what is Satan saying happens when we don't do what God wants us to do is that, is that you have desire and you have curse, I'm sorry, desire and rule beginning to be the focal point of how the relationships work. Let me say it a different way. That makes sense? That, that basically what happens because of the fall is that our tendency as male leaders, I want to say us first because we are the ones who should be getting putting on a dime here, we are insecure because we don't lead well. And then we look at y'all and we're like, you know what? If I, without the spirit of God, without me walking with Jesus, I can't be secure in my frailty and go, even though I, I, in, in my flesh, I don't lead well, but in Christ, I will lead well. I will serve you. And so I'm going to get it right sometime. I'm going to get it wrong sometime. Like that kind of man who's, who understands that he's broken, but he trusts Christ. Without that, what really happens with the normal cat? Is, you know what, he'll try to work hard, pull his bootstraps up, and maybe at best try to lead you. And then soon as he sees his frailty, because he will, and then you got the sinful woman reminding him of his frailty, because you do. Right? Then what happens, he goes, well, what's he trying to say? And then you get spousal abuse, alcoholism, drug addiction, adultery. You feeling me? Tell me. That Satan doesn't take this and mess up a culture. Generations of that stuff. So, so what happens in the flesh is we get mad. We're putting you in the head like, oh, please, you need to follow me. You need to follow me. Instead of sacrificially loving. That's a natural tendency of us, ladies. Is our insecurity breeds anger and embarrassment. And only in Christ can someone say, I'm, I'm jacked up, but I love the Lord and I love you. And I'm, I, didn't, I didn't leave well that time, but I, I, by God's grace, this time, I, I sense the spirit, I'm going to leave well this time. And I'm going to sacrificially love you this time. And that's the difference between a Christian brother who submits to Christ. And in submitting to Christ, he exalts you to glorify Christ. Trust me, you want that dude. Your tendency is you see that. But even if we were still cool, because I'm proposing it's a sin issue now, you're going to always have the tendency to say, you know what? That was all right. But you know what? I need to be getting mine too. You know, why I got to always be at the back? Why, why, why you get to say stuff first? Why you get, you know, I mean, you fill in the blank, right? And so there's a tendency, there's a tendency to say, I am going to be in the forefront, that I'm going to rule. Now, let me say this. This is not saying, and that's what I'm going to talk about next week. This is not saying that there's not an awesome place for women's gifts and leadership. And what does it look like practically then? Because that's where we take these texts here and then we take them to the extreme. And now you think everybody needs to be Little House on the Prairie. Like that ain't what we're talking about because there's culture and we move and have our being. So before you start trying to depict what that means practically... I want us to agree theologically. That makes sense? That, that, okay, well, what does that look like? But man, it seems that God is saying, man, you did, you in trouble, dude. Because this was your girl, and now we in this mess. 
And now you're going to be like this. She's going to be like this. And I try to give a brief description of what's, of what's going on. So, sis. Oh, yeah. So if a husband, if a husband does not submit to God. Yeah. So if a husband does not submit to God, then in first Peter, it says you ought to remain. We're talking, we're talking about a Christian woman here. I'm assuming you ought to remain godly in the, in the role of praying for him, caring for him. But in, in, in wisdom, if, if it's two godly people, something or not, well, he's not submitting to God. If it's a Christian dude and you have different kind of ways of submission, you have a Christian dude who loves the Lord and then the woman loves the Lord, and then every, some, every once in a while, we get it wrong, and we're in the flesh. Okay, so that dude's not submitting to God. What does that Christian woman do? She now can go, hey, bro, I don't think you submit to God. You know, because you, you, you like, that's a stupid what you just said. You know, and, and a lot of times, if we're honest men in the room who are married, we go, you're right. Right? Or we get mad in the flesh. We go, be quiet. What are you talking about? And then we go home or we go in our room and God convicts us because we're prideful. Can we, can we be honest up in here? Okay. So what should happen is we should know you, you're, the help make peace is that you are helping us point the relationship to Jesus. And when he is not doing that, you are called to actually call him out in a gracious manner. That, and that's why we get helpmate wrong. People think helpmate means you just sit back, let him make any decisions, stupid or good, and you kind of follow and just pray for him. That's not being a helpmate. It might, you know what I'm saying? You ain't helping me if you ain't helping me walk with Jesus. So you're, you're, you are to help him pursue Christ. So that's why we want good. That's why it matters who you marry, man. You don't marry a yes woman. You marry a woman who walks with Christ. She says yes to Jesus. So that means when you in the flesh and you ain't saying yes to Jesus, she'll be saying yes to Jesus. And you'll hear her yes, and then you obey God. That's, that's what's supposed to happen. Okay, that's what's supposed to happen. Now, the, the tricky part, sis, to your point is, and this is hard for me as a pastor, when I, when I see relationships where a godly girl is just with an ungodly dude, you know? And I'm just like, my heart's broken because they're in a covenant relationship, and he's not seeking Christ. And, I mean, now it's an issue of wisdom, right? God does not want you obeying people who are not obeying Christ. At the same time, you're in a covenant relationship, and you need to honor your husband. And guys, that's just messy. That's messy. That's, that's now it's an issue of wisdom. It's a gray area where you can't just go, I ain't going to listen to you because you ain't following Jesus. Because, <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, what, what, I mean, we don't know what the, the conclusion will be, right? It could be violent. It could be, it could just be divorce. It could be all kinds of things, right, that are just don't honor God. And so First Peter tells us that you are to model godliness. And we're going to look at that next week, First Peter 3. Uh, one through seven, model godliness, pray for him, try to find opportunities where you can celebrate his leadership, you know, where he does something actually godly because he has common grace too. So be asking God for common grace, give him common grace, God, allow him just to act like a, a good human. So I can go, that was good, man, you actually said thank you, you know, or I mean, I'm not being facetious, but like looking for those opportunities to just say, man, you were kind of acting like God there. That was awesome, you know, and in those moments where he's not, um, this is hard. I think based on the scenario, you got to follow him. Uh, that I, that, now I say that to this body, that's not doctrine. I'm just talking about, now we're talking wisdom in gray areas. Okay, guys? Um, God just tells us that we need to be knowing that you're still in that relationship. And, I, and Sandra, I love her, but she always asks the hardest questions. Would you stop? So, let me keep rolling because um, you guys have been so good. Um, man, I can't believe we still took long. I took it. I brought half the talk. See, y'all glad I didn't do the whole talk. All right. Um, can I just say this? So the, the whole concept of heaven and earth. So, so why is this important? I'm going to talk about it 30,000 feet and then we're going to pray. Um, I want you guys to see the whole concept of heaven and earth is a narrative that flows through scripture, okay? So you have in the beginning what God does in Genesis 1. Because I always talk to our, our body, right, our family about this meta-narrative, this big story of God. And I want you to see how marriage fits into that narrative. You have, you have God creating the heavens and earth, correct, right? And then, uh, that's in Genesis 1 and 2. And then we're told uh, that, that heaven and earth kind of works together, right? And you got 
you know, heaven and earth come in and, and it kind of, in, in, in culture, we try to make them distinct. But, but really, you know, that's kind of like a nuance, a new thing that we're doing. Actually, heaven and earth are, are kind of interlocking spheres of God's creation. Okay. But it doesn't just stop there. What happens is, is God does his work in all these other things in creation that kind of mirrors that same reality that you see with heaven and earth. These two interlocking spheres kind of coming together and kind of saying something about what God is doing in all of creation, right? So likewise, we see things that are also complementary, like the sea and then dry land and uh, plants and animals. And, 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 and they're different, obviously, you know, in a different kind of way. But there's still this sense of like God is, man, he's taking like different things by design and he's kind of bringing them together to say how they complement each other and they're, and they're making much of each other by just being who they are. So within the animal kingdom though, what God does is then he takes man and, and female, right? And he gives us these distinctive roles. And you notice that even animals have distinctive roles as male and female, right? Now don't, don't raise your hand and say, well, you know the male, the female line running things. Okay, that's cool. But, but there's a lot of animals. My point is they have role distinctions, right? There's certain, I mean, whatever they do, they've been doing it. And they keep doing it. And you ain't seen one of the animals go, no, this year, I'm running things. Like you, that ain't, that's not what happens even in the animal kingdom, right? You, you have the way that God made things to work because they actually bring about God's beautiful, perfect plan. Um, but what happens is the story reaches its climax with creation, of you and me as humans. I want to propose all those things that you see, all those things that are united and diverse and coming together, they actually get climaxed when God creates humans, when he creates man and woman, because now he creates all those other things, the sun and the moon and all these things that are kind of different, but yet they come together and you see them together because now together it's a better picture of what they are. And then the only thing that gets created in the same kind of way that's in a very different way is humans because we're created in the image of God. But yet with that same differentiation, you see, guys, this narrative is actually bigger than you and me. And so you see these complementary, these complementary things kind of reinforcing each other, meant to work together. Right. And so what, what I want to propose to you, what man and woman is, that, that the, the reason why this is important, because it's bigger than man and woman. But basically, man and woman is a type. It's like a symbol of what God is doing in all of creation. It's what he's doing. In the, it's a bigger narrative. So then what God does, he kind of changes the focus and, and then he, he, he goes to Genesis 2 and the focus is still man and woman, but then it moves toward marriage, right? So you have the creation piece, but then you, got, you, you see God doing something with those two different kind of things that are kind of the same and he brings them together so they could be one and experience the fullness of what they were created to be. So they leave the parents and become one flesh. And again, I want, to, I want to propose to you, it's pointing to a deeper reality, a deeper reality where men and women are the center of it. Now, what's cool about that, I bring that up because then what you see God do, you see the whole Bible, he goes through this huge narrative, and then you get to Revelation 21 and 22. So God begins creation with this heaven and earth, and man, God didn't creates all these things, and then he shows you in man what he's trying to do. But then because of the fall, we never got to see, well, what was God doing with heaven and earth? But then we get to Genesis 21 and 22, and we see God revisiting that whole concept of what God was going to do with heaven and earth again. But now you see the marriage, the marriage that was happening with man and woman, and that's happening throughout the history. You're seeing that oneness happened, oneness, oneness, oneness. And then you got to see God coming to consummate all of creation. And what does he do? He changes the narrative. He changes the symbols. And he says, oh, heaven and earth are kind of like a marriage. Right? And it's like the, the, you, have, you have Jesus as the bridegroom, and he's coming to grab New Jerusalem, as it were earth the people of God and they're coming together to be what God always created desired and intended do you see what I'm saying here guys is that there's a symbol and what we have here is is we get to see at the very end of what God's heart was always intended all the time he was always intending for people to see that it was all one that God was doing something symbolically here that didn't get accomplished because we jacked it up but then God finished it here and that God is using our relationships and the way our design is and the way we interact and care for each other to retell that beautiful story of unity and diversity. I know that's top shelf, 
But I, but I, but I, I didn't want to just leave with like a, a few examples to prove to you that we're different than each other. I wanted you to see us even bigger than that. This is a cosmic thing that God is doing. And that's why we're fighting for it as a body. All right. So now next week what we'll do is I hope you think, well, what's the application? Man, I don't know. But what I do know is, is to me, I pray I'm, I'm inspired. I'm inspired to see God's narrative being bigger than myself. And to see that God, everything he's doing, he's doing for a reason. And, and he made us for a reason. And he wants us to image him well. And, and man, I, it encourages me as a man to, to step up and be a man filled with the spirit. And to be a man of humility and kindness and model Christ. As Christ loved the church, I want to love my wife. And I want to be a man in this world who's retelling that story. So as, as humans, I believe we're called to live as symbols of creation. That was given in the beginning and consummated at the end. And retell the story of the Trinity. I think it was one of the main reasons why God did this thing to retell his story. Um, all right. We're going we're gonna, to uh, start next week. We're going to jump right in. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Trinity. Then we're going to talk about the practical piece. And y'all, that's what, I, I saved the nice one for this one because y'all won't get mad at me next week. And it's going to be great. We're going to have a great time. All right. And so... Um, so make sure you're inviting people uh, to be understanding what God is saying in his word. Be encouraged. Uh, again, our position is that we believe that God created men and women as in essence as, as the same. No one's better than the other, but we have roles that maximize God's glory. We'll look at those roles next week. Hey, let's um, time, let me pray for us. Let's do tithe and offering. Let's celebrate communion. Mike, I took all your time. So, man, just do a quick deal, and then we're going to get out of here and enjoy the Lord. Okay, guys? Um. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for providing uh, your word. I know it's going to be messy, Lord, but I just trust you and ask that we would be encouraged by how you made us. And we would just say no to the lives of the world. And we would wrestle with things honestly. And we would just land and be excited about who we are, Lord. And we wouldn't covet each other's uh, maleness or femaleness. We wouldn't covet our roles, but we would celebrate who you've made us and be courageous in that. And Lord, I pray we continue to worship you, Lord, that you are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name, amen.